The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 80. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist and adaptability coach to entrepreneurs and business leaders. I believe that working on your business is more important than working in your business. If you want to achieve your business goals and dreams without the cost and pain of having to make every mistake yourself, then The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is the podcast for you. I'm here to help you learn from the lessons of entrepreneurs and business leaders to help you work on yourself and your business so that you can save time, energy, and grow faster. For those of you new to the show, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai presents three new episodes each week on Insight Sunday we dive into the minds of business leaders through insightful guest interviews. On Story Tuesday, we dig deeper with them and learn firsthand from their stories, hard-earned lessons, and experience. On Thrive Thursday, it's just you and me on the couch, where you'll hear scientific research, my thoughts, and tangible tactics to adapt and grow yourself and your business. Grab a proverbial seat and listen up so you can learn from the minds and mistakes business leaders and apply their wisdom to your life and business. Because Insight Sunday's conversation was so packed and full of value, I decided to share it with you in two parts. On Sunday, Michael talked about his relatable stories, struggles, and success. We discussed the road and meaning of success and what differentiates between the road of failure and the road of success. On Tuesday, our insightful conversation continues with talking about the importance of communication and listening in leadership and business plus Michael's formula to create an amazing customer experience. But before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a six or seven plus figure business and experience a drag or dip in your growth, if you notice diminishing engagement or passion in your business, if you want to eliminate exhaustion and burnout in yourself or your teams, If you sense that you or your company would grow faster and stronger, if you could just pivot efficiently and effectively when circumstances change like they had so much in 2020, then you've got an adaptability problem. Adaptability coaching and consulting will give you and your business the psychology and neuroscience-backed tools to understand and leverage core adaptability skills through the unique 3D adaptation framework. You can learn to harness and leverage core adaptability skills to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to turn tough circumstances, reactions, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for you and your company. To learn more, go to dryishai.com slash coaching or dryishai.com slash consulting. You know, in the book, I talk about my first real mentor, which was my boss, Irving Settler, who Mm -hmm. hired me when I was 13 years old, basically to be clean up the floors, restock and straighten things out in the store. So I started at 13. And by the time I was 16, I was doing all the buying for the store and basically managing the store. But the thing was that Irving was a tough guy. I mean, he was a really, really tough guy. Mm -hmm. He expected perfection 
out of everybody that worked for him and perfection in everything that you did. And he led by example. That to me was crucial in this. He wasn't just Mm. telling me what to do. He was also showing me, just as you've said, showing Mm. me what to do. And maybe even more important, he was showing me the why behind Mm. that, why it was so important to do the things that he was doing. And I've carried that kind of with me my whole life that you've got to lead by example. And I've really tried to do that in business. You know, when you think about it, I think most businesses that do fail, I'm sure, I mean, some businesses do fail. Market changes, they don't have the right people at the right time. They didn't get rid of people that they should Mm -hmm. have sooner. All those other factors can come in. But again, I think one of the real reasons that a lot of people are not able to keep their business going is because they're really not understanding how the market has changed. And that comes from listening. Mm-hmm. You know, the old expression, God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> you know, that is a lesson I think I learned early on in my career that one, it was very important to listen. And two, mm-hmm. I needed to surround myself with people who were better in specific areas of the business than I was. I think as a young entrepreneur, one of the hardest lessons I ever had to learn is that I didn't have to have all the answers. I didn't Mm. have to be the smartest guy in the room. Leadership is about knowing what you don't know. So yeah, there's so many important, powerful pieces to that. As we're talking about communication and listening, it reminds me in, I think it's chapter 16, service, service, service. One quote that I highlighted is the customer has told you what to do. And for so many businesses, if we're not listening to that, if we're not paying attention to that, then we can make decisions thinking we're doing the right thing or trying to do better. But if we're not really listening, we're not learning how to do better by the customer. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, you know, it's one of the reasons, I can't even remember if this is in the book, I've never been a great believer in focus groups if you're trying to figure out what to do for the future. Steve mm. Jobs had a great line, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exactly how it went, but it was, if you want to know what to do for the future, create it, do it yourself. Mm. Because the truth is, if you bring a focus group together and you're talking about perhaps a new process or a new item, you know, a new product, That focus group, they may not be ready for it. You know, the old line, the old story of Henry Ford was if he had had a focus group at the time he was thinking about building an automobile, the focus group would have told him to find a faster horse. Uh And so (laughs) I've been a great believer in that. I think if there's things you're doing today that you're trying to decide if you could do it better, that's when you should be listening to your customers. Mm -hmm. But if what you're trying to figure out is how to do something better for the future, you may not get it from your customers. That's where you have to just kind of go out and listen as things are actually happening in the business. And sometimes those are tough decisions to make. To me, Steve Jobs, to me, one of the greatest things, and again, I learned a lesson from it. When he came out with the iPod, if you remember in the time, Sony Music owned that business. They had the Walkman. They had the big music catalog. They came out with the first MP3 player, but all of it was so clunky and it was Mm. all separated. And then Jobs comes out with this iPod 
It comes in the most beautiful packaging. I remember getting my first iPod and saving the box mm-hmm. for months, you know, thinking this is an aberration. And then the seamless way of downloading that music through iTunes, it was brilliant. And I think that's one of the things for me that enhanced my way of thinking about things, which is not focused specifically in one thing, but thinking about what are the other dots that you need to connect to make this the right experience for a customer. And that's where the formula that I have in the book, which is P plus E plus S equals EF. And that stands for product plus environment plus service equals the experience factor. And honest to God, a lot of that thinking came from Steve Jobs Mm -hmm. where to get people in the stores to understand that it's not about doing one of the three. It's not about doing two of the three. You've got to do all three all the time to get the result that that customer is expecting. Yeah, there's so much there. And I want to add something else as you're talking about it. It reminds me of, forget exactly when, it was a long time ago. It was maybe the 50s or the 60s, maybe a little bit later. Campbell's was doing research. They were trying to figure out, because they only had one kind of soup, and they were trying to figure out about expanding their product line. They wanted to get more market share. So what they first did was they sent out a survey and said, tell us what kind of soups you want. And they got all these answers and they ended up deciding to, they built a factory and they made, I think it was 46 kinds of soup based on what people said they would want. (laughs) And I'm sure you could probably predict what happened when they did what people said they would want, which is they actually nearly ran themselves out of business. People wouldn't buy them. And then the other thing they did was they made a few different varieties of soup. And they had people try them and said, how do you feel about this? Would you buy it or would you not buy it? And what they found was there were some people who liked some things and some people who liked other things. And they also discovered that there's a huge difference between listening to what people say they think they want, or you were talking about it with focus groups, what people are thinking about the future, as opposed to what is it people experience and how do they respond to that? And that's a different kind of listening. It's not listening for what do you think you would want? It's how do you feel about this? What is this like after you've experienced it or as you experience it? Yes. And you know, the other thing, I mean, there's great examples of companies that have just completely botched marketing programs. I mean, the biggest one, of course, I mean, probably the most well-known one is Coca-Cola with New Coke. And doing all of that testing against Pepsi, blind testing, and every single blind test showed that their new Coca-Cola product was favored. All these Coca-Cola people loved this new product. They thought it was great until they put it in a bottle and put it and called it new Coke. Mm. And once they did that, they never expected the power that just their own brand had. And once people saw it was a new Coke, they didn't want that new Coke. They wanted their old Coke that they grew up with, that they really want. And then they came, what did they do? Smart. They immediately saw they had a problem and they came up with classic Coke. Mm. And they didn't run them side by side. They ran out of inventory. They weren't really promoting new Coke anymore, but Mm -hmm. they were selling it. And then they just came out with classic Coke. And today... It doesn't say classic Coke. It just says Coke. 
And that, to me, was one of the great marketing misses of all time. A company that's probably the most brilliant marketing company in the world, and yet they made a mistake. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. And it really reminds me of, as you were talking earlier, about success is not about what is pre-planned. It's what do you do when the unexpected shows up? I mean, talk about the unexpected. And the interesting thing about that mess up is, and I'll relate it to myself, they wound up selling more Coke than ever before in their history after that fiasco. People who were drinking Pepsi went to start trying classic Coke because of this whole big mess up. And it's amazing to me that they were able to do it. You know, we went through an experience at the cookie company. Obviously, I know it's in the book. In 1984, where we had to completely reinvent the company. And we had been very successful. We were doing great, but we weren't growing the way we had been. And I realized, and I'm so glad that I did, that when we started the cookie company, the only place you could get a fresh baked cookie was either at home or at a bakery. That was it. There were no cookie stores. And so when the cookie business started, basically, if you were selling a a fresh cookie, like from a bakery, but you had a variety, people were buying it and doing really well. We came out with our cookie. It was by far the best cookie out there. But over a period of time, five years, six years into the business, seven years actually into the business, the customer had become much more sophisticated because now we weren't the only cookie store. There were many different cookie stores. And so now they were tasting us not up against a bakery cookie. They were now tasting us against all these other cookie stores that were out there. And when you talk about seven years in having to completely reinvent your business, and I thought at first, all we'd have to do is make minor changes, but we had to change everything. The recipe, the way we sold the product, the store design, training, how we trained our people. I mean, it was a complete revolution mm. of our business. And at first, you know, it did okay. It didn't do great. But over a period of a few weeks, it started to really take hold. And then once we started growing again, we were growing in a way that we had grown in the very beginning. I mean, mm. double digit, same store sales increases. If we had not made that change, honestly, I don't think we would have made it 10 years. I think we would have been gone. Instead, here we are today, 43 years after we started the company, and the company is still thriving. Wow. Yeah. That is unbelievable. And it reminds me so much of what you were talking about earlier in terms of the importance of trying new things and the importance of being willing to in business and how big a difference it makes when you're willing to try things that you hadn't tried before. It goes as far back as when we were talking about you at 11 and your willingness to try something. And if it wasn't working or when it wasn't working, to then go try something else right? to, to really pay attention to that. Time is really making fools of us. I wish we had more time. Before we wrap up, I wanted to jump into a couch round, which is some questions I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, starting with, in your experience, does growth happen in quantum leaps or small increments? You know, so it's a good question. I think it happens both ways. I think you plan for uh, smaller increments, but every once in a while, you hit a home run. And the question is, are you prepared for a home run? Because you got to take mm. advantage of it. 
There's an old Southern expression that I love, fish where there's fish. And when the fish start biting, you better be prepared. Mm-hmm. Have enough bait to make sure that you can do what you need to do. Yeah, I think in business, I mean, there have been many times where we've put out something and we assumed it would get five or 6%. And all of a sudden it's 15% doubled mm. what we thought. But I would say for the most part, you're going to get growth that's going to come in smaller percentages than these big giant steps forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next question. Which one of these is more important in business? Innate talent or skill development? Skill development. Because I think that, I would, here's where I would say that. If you ask most coaches for any athletic event, which they would rather have, someone who has innate talent or someone who has talent, but is willing to work really, really hard to get to that level that they need to get to. I think a lot of times people who have innate talent feel like they can't ask a question that might question their own abilities. Mm. I think people who have great, I'm not saying that that's everyone. I'm saying, look, Mm -hmm. if you could be both having a talent and also be willing to learn new skills, that's the perfect combination. But the truth is there's a lot of people who are just really brilliant at specific things wind up fizzling out because they're not willing to listen and learn from other people. One thing I just said, but I'll make this real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, I started working, really working when I was 13. I mean, I started doing stuff at 11, but really working at 13. And by the time I was 30, I really threw a thought I knew all the answers because of all the things that I had come up against. And the truth is, I did know all the answers. My problem was at 30, I didn't know all the questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you have innate talent, that's the problem. You don't know all the questions. That's such an important point. And I know that's something that in the book, you really dive into and discuss more at length than how you learned and what that looked like, the process of becoming better at asking those questions and learning how to ask them and what questions are really important to ask and how huge a difference it makes. Uh, Thank you for speaking to that. Next question, what type of content have you been consuming lately? And then how do you like to consume content? I guess like a lot of people, this has been a very disruptive year with COVID. Generally, I've been a pretty big book reader. I have to say that I've read some books this year. I would also say that what's been going on in politics has really disrupted my ability to sit down and just think about (laughs) reading a book. I'm hoping things are going to be a little calmer this year. But I guess I get most of my information the way a lot of people do today. I get it on the internet. I'm not saying I get it off of Facebook or But I mean, I read the New York Times online. I read Mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal online. I read The Economist on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much the way I get most of my information. And unfortunately, the way I was getting a lot of my information was through meetings with peers and people that I'm on boards with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, a lot of that has just been very difficult in in 2020. And I'm hoping that 21 will be a better. Another way, honestly, I had so many speaking engagements around my book from the time it came out, 2019. And then I had probably 75 speaking engagements in 2020 that all got canceled. Wow. Maybe five or six. And so I've done podcasts like this and I've done webinars. I've done some keynotes. 
But I have to tell you, I really miss the interaction with the audience, mm. having that Q&A at the end. And I would say this, I would say that some of the best ways I get my information are by the questions you're asking, because mm. I rethink my own thoughts mm-hmm. and getting questions from an audience of various ages, from millennials to people who are retired, mm-hmm. who ask very provocative questions that allows me to start thinking through things maybe I hadn't thought about in a long time. Yeah, I know you mentioned before about mentors. And one of the things about being a mentor or that I've heard and that I've seen in my experience of being a supervisor as well in a clinical setting is the questions that we get asked really teach us a lot. And being a mentor really brings us face-to-face with so many things, some of which we've had experience in and many of which we haven't. And that's such a learning experience. It is such a powerful learning experience. Absolutely. I mean, think about this. When I was 13 years old when Irving Settler took me into the store and took me under his wing and basically began an education about business, the likes of which I don't know would have happened without him. But Mm. here's the point. Here we are all these many years later, and I'm still thanking him. Mm-hmm. So if you've reached a place in your life where you can become a mentor, just remember the fact that that person that you're mentoring, that mentee, they may be talking about you long after you're gone. You have no idea the mm-hmm. kind of impact you could have on their life. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to jump into the next question, which is almost our last question for today. What is or are your non-negotiables? Whether that's routines, values, time you protect? I would never make a decision that was financial that affected my family Mm. in any way. I don't mean where I'd lose my family. I'm talking about where it would take me away for Mm. a period of time that I wouldn't want to be away from my family. I would never compromise that. And so you I never, never compromise family never for compromise. any decision, financial or otherwise. Right. And I know I have. In the mm. past, I know I've made decisions that, hey, I got out of the clothing business because I had three small children mm. and I didn't want to have, once the business started moving to Asia, um, I didn't want to have to travel three weeks a month and be away from mm. my family. So I decided to sell a successful clothing business that I had and find something else to do that would allow me to be home more. That was a decision that was not in my best financial interest. I had been very successful in the clothing business, and I'm sure that if I stayed in it, was willing to make those trips to Asia, who knows what might have happened. But I could have lost a lot more on the way. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Last question or questions. Where or how can people find and connect with you? And what kind of outreach might be welcome versus what might not be so welcome? Well, I mean, I think one of the things you said in the very beginning, by the way, not only do all the royalties from my book go to Kennesaw State University's foundation for a scholarship my wife and I established for veterans, but also all the honorariums that Mm. we receive. And I pay all my own expenses so that the pure honorarium goes directly to the university. And I have a website, michaelcoles.com. It's easy to remember. And by the way, the name of the book is Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash 
led to success in business and life. And the only reason I bring that up is there is another book titled Time to Get Tough that uh, was not written by me. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those links in the show notes. I'm going to put a link for michaelcoles.com and also a link if you want to purchase the book. I can put an Amazon link if you'd like that. And so for any of you out there who are interested, we can get that so it's easy for you to get. I wanted to thank you so much for joining and sharing your thoughts and wisdom when it comes to being a leader, an entrepreneur, and so many other things. Thank you so much. I hope you listening today have really gained a lot from our conversation. I want to say that it's been a really special treat, Michael, to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for sharing and talking about stories that you shared that are in the book, stories from your life that aren't in the book, and so many powerful, important lessons from lessons on the difference between success and failure in terms of it's not just what you prepare for, it's what is unexpected. Also talking about success is not just a destination, it's a journey and how important it is to not just think of it as something you get and then you're done. And in addition to that, talking about the importance of showing, not telling, not just saying what you want, but really showing and outlining it in it in such a clear way. We talked about communication and how listening is such an important part of it in business also, and how many relational parts there are, in addition to in business, also in mentorship. So thank you so, so much for sharing that and sharing so many of the lessons that are in your book. And there's so much more that I really can't highly recommend it enough. And I really can't wait to dive deeper into your hard-earned lessons and learn more on Story Tuesday. Thank you so much. Great being with you. Thanks for joining us today on The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. If you enjoyed today's episode, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more people like you the ability to learn and grow. You can also click the share button to share today's episode directly with someone you know who would enjoy it. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast artwork is made by Sam Barkadari, show notes by Yishai Barkadari, and music by www.purple-planet.com. The advice and opinions of the host and guests are our own. I'm a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with either the guest or the listener. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thank you for listening. Remember, our thoughts and reactions affect our actions. By listening, we can learn from the challenges others face and the choices they make so that we can make better decisions and get better results. 